If you could uh, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. In, in the first book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, any Tolkien fans out there? Great, awesome. <clears throat> the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo, Baggins, and Samwise Gamgee find themselves leaving their home of the Shire for the first time. And during the beginning of their journey, they see a group of elves walking through the woods. And it's here Frodo asks the leader of this elven group a very pointed question, pun intended, if you get that. He says, who are you and who is your Lord? Now, he could have asked a number of questions to find out who this guy was, but he decides to ask this. And this question is a really good way to get to know someone pretty quickly. You see, who our Lord is probably is the best way of determining what we do, who we are, what we're about. So I'll ask you the same question today. Who is your Lord? Wade has often mentioned this A.W. Tozer quote where he says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So as the year comes to a close and we're thinking about 2024, before we run into our busy schedules full of new goals and plans, let's get first things first. Today, let it be the day when you submit to Jesus. And let today be the day that you know without a doubt that Jesus is your Lord. So could you stand as we read Psalm chapter 2? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Lord, today would you speak to us through your word. Amen. I'll see. Some context about the Psalms. We are... In the book of Psalms, and psalm means song, if you didn't know that, so the genre of scripture today is poetry. And as we read today and we study today, know this about ancient Hebrew poetry. The words that are at the end of the phrases don't rhyme like our poetry tends to do, but rather the ideas of the the poetry rhyme. This psalm is attributed to David, King David in, in Acts, and many scholars believe that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are actually one big psalm. But we know that they are at least meant to be taken together. The connections between them are astounding. For instance, the word blessed or happy is the first word of Psalm 1 and the last word of Psalm 2, if you take it uh, in literal word order. There are so many parallel ideas. I wish I had more time to dive into it, but I will spare you. We're just going to stick to Psalm 2 today. Also, Psalm 2 is quoted elsewhere in Scripture. Seven times it's quoted in the New Testament in Acts Hebrews, and Revelation. So this is a big deal. 
And for you music history buffs out there, Handel, this is a fun fact, Handel, who wrote the Messiah, actually set several verses of this psalm to music in his Messiah movement. And if you're an academic like, like I am, or I try to be, I guess, I'm not, really not that smart, but an outline for this, I love a good outline. Four parts. Part one, vain threats against God's kingdom. This is verses one through three. Part two, God's confident response, verses four through six. Part three, the proclamation of Christ the King in verses seven through nine. And then part four is a call for all to submit to Christ in verses 10 through 12. And in his commentary on the book of Psalms, Dr. James Hamilton points out that this psalm actually makes up, if you look at the outline, it makes up a chiastic structure or chiasm, if you've heard of that before, which means the ideas and the order actually mirror each other. And so in this psalm, you get an A, B, B, A sort of um, structure. So enough context. Let's dig into the psalm verse by verse. We're going to go quickly through this, so stay stay attentive. Here we go. Section 1, vain threats against God's kingdom. This is verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And if you're like me, you start thinking about all the possible culprits of this verse. Maybe this is about disgraced historical figures or political leaders, people actively persecuting Christians. And that's all true, but let's be honest. We are also in this group that plots in vain against God. Apart from Christ on our own, we have rebelled against him in our sin, vainly looking for ways to overthrow his lordship in our lives. And again, I've got a one-year-old and a five-year-old boy, and so I get the idea of toddlers wanting to rebel against their parents, right? This is sort of the idea that's happening here, and how in vain that is. When a toddler wants to get his or her way, it's laughable because we know we're the parents. You're not going to get your way. You're a toddler. And I found a few examples of this online, so check this out. This is the first one. This is somebody pitching a fit down here. The Golden Gate Bridge isn't actually golden, Silly, right? Silly. Next one says, she keeps dropping her fork. She's wearing gloves, no wonder. Okay, third one, this is hilarious. He doesn't want to to go, even though we've repeatedly told him we're not going anywhere. (laughs) Right? We have a way of making just vain plots against silly things. This is exactly what we do with the Lord. This is what we look like when we do it. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. This word anointed here, this, this can be translated Messiah, right? Messiah. And David would have been writing this about the promised king that would come. He wouldn't have written this about himself. He's not talking about himself as the king, even though he was an anointed king. He was talking about the promised one to come in his line. And we know that this is actually Jesus. King Jesus, the one who's in the line of David, the anointed one, the Messiah. In Acts 4, Peter and John pray this, uh, Psalm 1 and 2, they pray this prayer to the Lord, and and they say that that Pilate and Herod have taken counsel together against the anointed one of Jesus. And so we see the New Testament translates or interprets this psalm this way. And this may be a new thought for you, that Jesus could be found in other parts of the Bible other than the Gospels. But remember, the Bible tells one big story of the gospel. So Jesus is found on every page. 
if you know where to look for him. So as we start the whole Bible campaign, which I'm super excited about, getting to read through the Bible in a, in a year, that's part of our job is to go, where does this fit into the big story of Scripture? Where is Jesus in this text that, that I'm reading? Let's keep going. Verse 3 says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. When you, hear, when you see the, the bonds and the cords, you can think of maybe like people getting together. How can we take the, the decrees and the laws and the morality and the way that God has set things up in the world, and how can we make our own way and break those apart and go our own way? Dr. James Hamilton says this, Those who would reject Yahweh and his anointed want to reign for themselves in the way that seems right in their own eyes without reference to morality as Yahweh has defined it. The attempt of a creature to throw off the reign of his, of his creator is laughable. Thus, Yahweh's response to it. Section two, we get to God's confident response. This is verses four through six. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And did you know that God laughs? We don't really think about that often, but God laughs. And before you think it's ungracious of him to laugh, Remember, this entire psalm is a call or a warning to repent and to come back to him. So he's being very gracious to us. And he's fully in the right as our perfect, holy creator to mock any rebellion against him. Because it, it just won't work. We look like that toddler lying on the floor, pitching a fit. Verse 5 says, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And there, there's a word that we don't like a lot of wrath and, and fury. We don't like to think of God as, as wrathful or furious. But this is true. We can't shy away from, from this, that everyone apart from Christ deserves God's wrath for our sin and our rebellion against him. But also, that's why the gospel is so great. Because the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus, has taken the wrath for those plotting against him. The anointed one himself has died for those trying to overthrow him. We sang a song earlier today that said, the king for the traitor, right? The great exchange. The king actually died for those rebelling against him. Pretty awesome stuff in the gospel. Verse 6 says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. When you see this word Zion, it's going to be a number of things. Uh, literally, it kind of means Jerusalem. This is God's promised uh, land. This is where the temple was in Jerusalem. But also you can think of maybe heaven or the new Jerusalem as we call it. But this is where God is reigning. And we know that he reigns forever in heaven and on the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And so he is reigning from heaven. And then when you see my holy hill, it's pretty cool. You can think of it saying the hill where my holiness dwells is sort of how we can read that. And I love this idea of Jesus reigning from a hill because the same anointed one, the, the Messiah, who would climb the hill of Golgotha to take a cross and die on a hill. And yet he would rise again and then he eventually will reign forever from the hill of Zion, the holy hill of Zion. So he dies on a hill and yet he reigns on a hill. I just love that. Section three, the promise of Christ the King, verses seven through nine. Verse seven, you can think of this as the who of this section. H O H, how do you spell it? W H O, who. Verse seven, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
So you can kind of think of this as Jesus talking, and this is what God the Father has claimed about God the Son. And you can see the word Son here is capital S, so we know that that is, again, once, the anoint, once again the anointed one, the Messiah. This verse is actually uh, interpreted and quoted three times in Acts, Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews twice. Acts 13.33 says, This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Hebrews 1.5 says, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And Hebrews 5.5 says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So again, the New Testament is interpreting this psalm as being about Jesus. Verse 8, you can think of this as the what of the section. So we have the who, which is Jesus, and this is what he is, uh, what, it, what it is to happen with Jesus. Ask of me, this is God the Father talking, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And this is what happens with Jesus. So nations your heritage, we say this all the time, but at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess, right? And the ends of the earth, your possession. I love this idea because what was the original design for humanity? To be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus fulfills that mission perfectly where we have failed, right? He, he, he succeeds where Adam and Abraham and David and, and really us have failed in this category of being fruitful and multiplying to the ends of the earth. Because the, earth, the ends of the earth belong to him. And as he multiplies more people to his church, his church takes the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus... Uh, the nations are his, and the ends of the earth are his possession. We also read this in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 during the Christmas season. We read this idea of the Lord reigning, ruling and reigning over all. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then verse 9, we have the how. This is how Jesus will reign on the earth. It says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Revelation quotes this three times. Revelation 2, 26 and 27. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Revelation 12, 5 says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And Revelation 19, 15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword which, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This ruling with a rod of iron and dashing them into pieces is the outcome of the vain plotting of humanity. This is the outcome for all who do not submit to Christ and his lordship. And th this is kind of the bad news, right? We plot in vain against God. God says, I have set my king, Jesus, to rule the world, and he will strike down any rebellion. That's the bad news. And God would have been just to just leave it there. He could have ended the psalm at verse 9 and said, that's it. 
But because he is gracious and loving, we have Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12. This is a call for all to submit to Christ. It says this, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the good news. This is the opportunity of salvation. Look at these words. Be wise and warned. Serve, fear, rejoice with trembling. That's the call. All of those words are words that describe submission to a king. All of those words are words that describe faith. God is warning us and he's calling us to submit to Christ. We're to fear to fear him and tremble at his name. And I love this, this imagery of kiss the sun. It's sort of something we wouldn't really say in our language. But imagine this image of a king walking into a room, long robe flowing behind him, and he's got a giant ring on his hand, right? What have we, we've seen this before, where a king would hold out his hand and, and maybe a subject would bow, right, and, and kiss the ring. This is the image here in the psalm. It means to trust him, to bow to him, to submit to him. Uh, other translations say pay homage to the son, take refuge in him. And what's the result of him taking, of us taking refuge in him and trusting him? Well, his wrath is quickly kindled, and we are blessed when we take refuge in him. What are we blessed with? We're blessed with his one forgiveness, his righteousness. He has mercy on us. He gives us grace. He gives us the favor that, that Jesus actually won with his righteousness. We're, we're prodigal sons who have spent our inheritance and we've come back to the Father and find him running toward us with open arms. And you've heard it said, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's true, but, but here's the thing. We, we've just established, and the psalm has established, that Jesus is the Lord of everything. He is the Lord of your life, whether you recognize it or not. But it still remains true that you need to recognize his lordship for salvation. You need to bow to him. You need to kiss the son and just agree with him. You are Lord and I am not. So what does it look like to submit to Christ? What's our response? Well, the first thing I think is, is this, surrendering your rebellion. Surrendering your rebellion has there been a time where you've actually repented of sin and trusted in Christ for salvation? Have you stopped your vain plotting against him and started bowing to him? Do you have a personal walk with him that can withstand the temptations and pressures of the world? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This first initial submission is saving faith in Christ. And if you have yet to put your trust in him, today is the day. We're not promised tomorrow. I know we're all looking forward to 2024 and, and, and what it holds, but you may not even make it to 2024. We don't know. Today is the day for salvation. Surrender your rebellion against God and trust Christ for salvation. The second thing is refusing to bow to other gods. This can be internal, but I want to talk about the external implications of that. Refusing to bow to other gods. Now, I don't think I have to convince you 
that the world is fallen and dark and it's full of, of people that are plotting against the Lord just like we have. And there are countless potential idols, false gods thrown at us every single day. Even here in Middle Tennessee, we, we've done our best to get away from all of that and, and get our kids into good school districts and live quiet and safe lives. But we know, if you've been here for a while, it's still very dark here. We look great on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lot of pain. So what are we to do surrounded by idols, surrounded by potential things we can worship? How are we to respond in a culture that rages against the Lord and his ways? Well, the, the great 1990s country song says, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. I love Joshua 24, 15. You've heard this before. It says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, when Nebuchadnezzar said, you must bow to this golden idol. Check this picture out. Nebuchadnezzar says, you must bow to this idol. And, and look, the three guys right here, Shadrach, Meshach, and And I guess this is their friend who's like, guys, get down. Come on. What are you doing? But these three guys, they, they wouldn't bow to, a, to a, another god except for Yahweh. And we know the story. They were thrown into the furnace, but yet God was with them and, and delivered them from that. But are, would we do the same thing today? If someone said, you'll be thrown in jail if you, worship, if you don't worship this would we actually do that? It's happening across the world, by the way, to Christians all over the world. We're, we're the, the minority of Christians in the world for now. I think of the early church in Rome. Um, these guys, Constantine I and Licinius, you didn't realize you're getting a history lesson today, but uh, poor, poor guy lost his nose, too. I don't know what happened. Uh, but these guys were emperors in Rome during the time of the early church. And they were persecuting Christians because there was this saying, people would walk around and they'd say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. That was kind of how they greeted people. And people were expected to say that in culture. And the early Christian church said, no, we're, we're not going to say that. We're, we're going to say Jesus is the Lord. So they said Jesus is Lord, which I think is cool because a lot of us, we, we still hear that phrase today, and I like to think that that phrase has been passed down from the early church, refusing to bow to other gods. But these guys, they were, they were persecuting Christians for not bowing to Caesar. But they couldn't stop the spread of Christianity. They exploded, even through the persecution. So they actually passed something called the Edict of Milan, which was the first... Um, decree of religious tolerance. They said, we can't, we can't keep killing Christians. We're not going to have a society left. And so they, they passed a, a decree of religious tolerance, all because Christians would refuse to bow to other gods. I wonder if we would have the same boldness today. I wonder. I, I know I've spoken with a few of you, and I know that for a fact that if there is, when there's social or political pressure for us to bow to some idol, that you wouldn't do it because I've heard stories of saying, you know, my job wanted me to do this and that. And I said, I'm not going to do those things. They go against God's ways. And you were either fired or quit or socially kind of harassed for it. I know that. So I'm very encouraged by that. But are we willing to be bold in our faith and to not bow to other gods? So let me ask you this. And the band is going to come up as we conclude. I'll ask you the question again. 
Who are you and who is your Lord? Is your Lord success? Is it a political party? Is it pleasure? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse, comfort, safety? What do you worship above all else? What rules you? What rules you? And Wade mentioned this earlier, but 2024 could be a tough year. There could be things that come with us that we, don't, we aren't prepared for, like there could be death and sickness. There could be relational issues, anxiety, addiction. It's an election year. Hello. There's inflation, economic uncertainty. There's war in Israel. There's a Ukrainian war. Just this week, Nigerians were killed just for being Christians. Right? This is happening all over the world. There's godlessness in our culture. There's degradation of identity in our culture. But regardless of what this year brings, regardless of all of that, Jesus is Lord. But you may say Jesus is Lord in January, but will you still mean it in November? It may seem like the whole world is crashing and burning around us, but Jesus is still on the throne. He's not surprised or overwhelmed. Submit to him. On the flip side of that, 2024 could be an awesome year. There could be great things that happen. The Lord gives and he takes away, right? There, there, there could be job success for you. There could be new babies in store in your family. There could be new marriage, new relationships. You may get that promotion you've been praying for. Your health issue, you may be healed of that. There may be new salvation in your family or in your friends. You may have a great year, but you still need Jesus desperately. And you may say Jesus is Lord in January, but are you still going to say it and mean it when you get that promotion with more money and you feel like you don't need God anymore? Williamson County can't protect you from needing Jesus. Middle Tennessee can't change that fact. So as we go into the new year, let's realize that Jesus is Lord no matter the good or the bad. And surrender your rebellion to him and refuse to bow to any other idols this year. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather. There are Christians all over the world that do not have this privilege. Lord, would we have their boldness to say that Jesus is Lord in opposition. Lord, would we if, we, if there are people in this room today that have never surrendered their rebellion to you and trusted you by faith, that you took their sin on the cross and the wrath that they deserved. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace towards us. Lord, may, may Christ be the cornerstone of our lives, of our families, of our church, of our town. In Jesus' name, amen.